As we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. Um, has anyone ever broken a promise to you? I hate to begin with kind of a negative uh, thought probably, but I would venture a guess that in a room this size, the vast majority, if not every single one of us, this is a reality of life, that, that we're in a relationship with people, people make promises, and then people break promises. And if we're willing to kind of get a mirror out, have you ever broken a promise? And as we think about this, I'm not just talking about little things either, right? Like big promises, lifelong commitments, maybe vows that were made or cross your heart and hope to die promises. I think we can all agree that, that promises have been made to us that ended up being broken, that we've made promises that we didn't keep. Maybe they were well-intentioned and we didn't have the capacity, or maybe we had a change of heart and we broke a promise. And what happens to a relationship after a broken promise? What does it take to rebuild that trust? And as we consider these different questions, I want to ask one more, and that is, have you ever thought that somebody broke a promise and come to that conclusion that they had, and then it turned out they hadn't, and there had been some misunderstanding. I want to push pause on that train of thought for a moment and uh, just kind of introduce you to our Advent series this year. We're going to be focusing on a kingdom Christmas. should come as no surprise if you've been here all year. We've been focused on the kingdom all year. We started way back in January with a series titled Kingdom First. Then we talked about kingdom power. We moved right into kingdom culture and how the kingdom culture should be over and above the culture around us. We've looked at things like kingdom economics, kingdom families, the kingdom mission. We just finished up a series titled Kingdom Living. And even when we've gotten kingdom out of the series title, we've still been focused on the kingdom. In the God Is series that was most of the summer, we were talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We were talking about the king on the throne, the king that we've sworn allegiance to if we're subjects of the kingdom. And then this fall when we did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, I almost named that kingdom spirituality because uh, as the kingdom works itself into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, it should bring health, it should bring healing, it should bring maturity into us and into our lives. And so before we dive into today's message, uh, I want to call your attention to a little postcard that was probably on the seat, either the one you're sitting in or the one next to it, uh, with our Christmas Eve survey. Now, if you haven't noticed, pulled out your calendar, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year, and it's always fascinating to me as a pastor how when a major holiday lands on a Sunday, it just creates some interesting, interesting planning that you have to do as a result of that. And so that's where this Christmas Eve survey comes in. We want to share a little information with you about Christmas Eve, and then... We want you to share a little information with us about Christmas Eve, okay? So the, what I want you to know is we're going to have two distinct services on Christmas Eve. In the morning at 10.30 a.m., we will have a normal Sunday morning worship service, much like the one you're in today, even at the same time as the one that you're in today. We won't have a 9 o'clock service on the 24th. We won't be having Sunday school classes. Um, so we'll just have one service at 10.30 and then in the late afternoon, early evening, we're going to have a totally separate 
distinct service. Different songs, different message, different everything. Okay, it'll be more like our normal Christmas Eve services if you've been here before. And uh, we might even have two. Uh, but we need to know how many of you are planning to come to both because we don't know, you know, if you're like really into it and you're going to come in the morning and in the afternoon slash evening or if you're just going to come to one or the other. And we realize you might even have a different number of people coming. So like maybe mom and dad are coming to the morning service. You check that box and you would put a two on the line. And say the kids and grandkids are showing up around one o'clock and you're planning to come to Linwood's Christmas Eve service as part of your Christmas Eve together then you might check that box and put 17 on the line, however many you have. We just want to know so that if it's 150, we'll have one service, it'll be wonderful. If it's 550, we'll have two really nice full services and it'll be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful either way. We just want to know how many of you are planning to come. So if you would, please fill that out and then put it in the offering plates before you leave. If you're not 100% sure yet, but you're like 98% sure, go ahead and make your best guess. If you're only like 2% sure, and you're like, what, Christmas Eve? Is it December? Like, what happened in November? Anybody? Like, it was just, we went from October to December in my house. But um, if you're not 100% sure, take this with you as a reminder, and then email our office, preferably before, two, uh, before Tuesday at 9 a.m. so that we can make a good decision in staff meeting. Um, but let us know what your plans are. Those of you that are watching us online, man, we are so glad that you made it a priority uh, to worship with us. And if you know that you're going to be here, on December 24th, maybe you're just out of town this weekend and you want to let us know, you can comment in the comments of our Facebook or our YouTube, and we will see that, and we will fill one of these cards out for you so that we know how many people are going to be there. So that's the Christmas Eve service uh, survey. Please uh, fill that out. Let us know. Uh, one more thing before we dive in here. I just got to highlight that 24 hours of prayer one more time. It starts this Friday from 5 p.m. to Saturday at 5 p.m. If you've never done this before, please do this. Sign up at the table in the lobby. Let us know when you're going to be here. We really like to get full coverage. So, you know, if, you're not gonna, if there's an hour that's not going to be covered, staff picks it up, members of the prayer team and our board uh, will pick that up. Um, but this is going to be special. It's going to be unique. It's, we're calling it an Advent Prayer Odyssey. We came across a, a really wonderful resource that we want to put into your hands as an option for you that would prepare your hearts and your minds for Advent this year. And so when you come, you'll come to the door right over here um, and make sure you get a door information card. It's got the code to get you in. But there'll be a booklet available to you that you can take that will guide you through 11 different stations in this sanctuary that will be hands-on activities. If you have children, bring your children. Um, there'll be scriptures and devotional readings and even a place for you to journal some thoughts if you have those thoughts. So this is a wonderful opportunity for the family. It's a wonderful opportunity to invite a friend or a neighbor that is feeling disconnected this Christmas. Whatever it is, from 5 p.m. on Friday to 5 p.m. on Saturday, uh, we hope that you will be here and that you will make it a priority uh, to come and, and experience that time. And then you can stay as long as you want. That, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to leave. Nobody's going to chase you out. The sanctuary will be open. You can sit in here or you can sit out there and you can just have some quiet moments of prayer and reflection. So make sure you grab a card so that you can get in when you come. All right, now back to a kingdom Christmas. Uh, we're excited about this. Uh, we're actually just going to focus on the four topics uh, that would correspond with your traditional Advent wreath. And so today, we're going to light the hope candle, and we're going to focus on a kingdom hope. And we'll be looking at biblical prophecy and the hope that is fulfilled in Christmas. 
And as we go through this series and we look at each one, we're going to pay particular attention to how kingdom hope is different than the world's hope. We'll be looking at kingdom hope, kingdom peace, kingdom joy, and kingdom love. And you will find that kingdom hope, peace, joy, and love is very different than worldly hope, peace, joy, and love. So we'll pay particular attention to that as we go through this series and as we look at how this king that has come to us in the manger and what he brought into this world through his life and his ministry, through his death and his resurrection, is totally unique. It's the greatest gift. It's the most wonderful time of the year as a result. And this messianic kingdom that we're talking about, that we've been talking about all year, it really was God's plan A from the beginning. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see that it was perfect. Everything was good, 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 very good. And then sin entered the world, and things got off course, and we see this world that we're in today, this broken, fallen world that we're in today, as a culmination of that, and yet there is a promise that it will be put right, that this world is not all there is, and that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and that the new messianic kingdom that Jesus inaugurated 2,000 years ago is continuing to expand, and it will continue to expand forever. And we're invited to live in that kingdom here and now. And we're invited to share the good news of that kingdom with those around us and to invite others into that kingdom here and now. And so today we will focus on the prophecies and the promises. And I want to look at one in particular from Jeremiah 33. If you have a Bible and you want to start turning to Jeremiah 33, that would be great. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, unless you're on the front row, and then it's going to be awkward. But You might have one on your phone. You'll probably be okay. Uh, Turn to page 1232 if you're using one of ours, and uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah 33. And while you're getting there, I want to give you a little bit of context about Jeremiah and what we call the book of Jeremiah. It turns out that Jeremiah was a bullfrog. No, he wasn't, but some of you know that song, right? He was a pretty good friend of mine, maybe a good friend of yours too. No, Jeremiah was a prophet, and a prophet was a special role in the religious landscape of the nations of Israel and Judah. And Jeremiah is what we would often call a major prophet today. Now, at the time, he didn't know he was a major prophet, didn't know there were going to be minor prophets to come along later. That was something we added later, more to do with the length, but some of the content and the themes um, between the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Uh, but some things that were unique about Jeremiah, he had a really tough life. Um, Maybe one of the hardest lives that we have sort of a blow-by-blow of in Scripture. He had a really tough life. Many scholars refer to him as the weeping prophet. He had so many challenges. He had to deliver hard messages to a people that didn't want to hear those hard messages. He was betrayed. He was shipped off. He was abandoned. He was put in a pit. He was not well-received by just about anybody. In fact, one commentary pointed out, we only have one, maybe two direct converts of his decades of ministry. And I think that's, I think that's interesting to me. And I wrote in my notes, wow, he personally needed the promises that he was prophesying. 
So when he wrote in Jeremiah 29, 11, Behold, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He needed that message for himself as well. Yes, he was writing it to a people in exile. And he was promising that better things were to come because God was promising that better things were to come. But he needed that promise for himself. And perhaps the passage that we'll look at today, he needed that promise. And I know as a pastor, more than once, I have needed the truth that God gave me to say to you in my own life, in my own heart. And so he speaks these promises. And yes, there is judgment, but there are many, many promises. And he speaks the promises of God into a very tumultuous time for his nation that he was a part of was the nation of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Initially, there had just been one kingdom, but then they split. And the northern nation of Israel had fallen several decades earlier. And Judah was kind of on its last legs And the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrian Empire, but it was waning. Its power was diminishing, and Babylon was rising and starting to take over the Assyrian Empire. And Egypt to the south was sort of trying to seize the moment, and Judah's right in the middle of all of it and becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. So you have all this political turmoil all around, and kind of the vultures are circling And here's Jeremiah writing messages of judgment and messages and promises of hope. And so that is the context that we find ourselves for a kingdom hope today. I want to look at Jeremiah verse uh, 33, chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. Now, it's a pretty famous chapter. The first couple of verses of Jeremiah 33 are quoted often in the New Testament. They might have seen them on a wall somewhere. They make their way onto plaques quite a bit. Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 18 isn't the most famous Christmas prophecy. That would probably come from Isaiah. But it, it is unique, and, and it, even though it's less familiar, it covers some ground that I find really meaningful uh, to our subject and our topic today. And so I'm going to read a verse or two at a time, and then we'll pause. Uh, But verse 14 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Now, that phrase, gracious promise, caught my attention. I was like, oh, I really like that. I like the idea of a gracious promise that God had given. And I was just a little disappointed when I looked up the original language, and it literally means good word. And I thought, well, the NIV just took a little bit of liberty. Yeah, it was a gracious promise, and a good word from the Lord is a gracious promise. But then I got to thinking about that. Has anybody ever spoken a good word over you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're in a Bible study, or maybe you're just sharing with a friend, and you've got some challenge or some issue, and you're laying out, and they're able to speak with just a profound insight. Maybe they bring a scripture. Maybe they just share a truth or some wisdom from their experience. And you think, wow, that's a good word. That's a really good word. Maybe, maybe that's even God speaking to me through you. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been sitting in a room like this with a pastor on a stage like this, and they say something, and it's just like red telephone on your desk. The Holy Spirit just gave you a good word, and you might say, amen, or you might moo. You know what I'm talking about with the moos? We can go, mmm. I'm going to have to come back to that one. Hmm, I might need to write that one down. It's interesting to me, there's a geographical element to this. When I was in West Virginia, I got a lot of amens, a few at, at that's rights, even a couple of come ons. That wasn't unusual, but I didn't hear much mooing in West Virginia. And you get out here to, you know, the Great Plains, there's fewer amens, 
almost no come-ons and that's right. But I do get more moos. I don't think it has anything to do with cattle. I think it's just like we're a little bit more reflective here. We're like, hmm, I'm going to bookmark that. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to think about that. And that's a good thing. But this is a gracious promise. It's a, it's a good word. And here's my point in talking about this. This book is chock full of good words. It's so full of gracious promises that God has been giving to his people, that God has been giving to you for centuries, for millennia. If, if I could get you to do one thing, it would be to read and study this book every day. Even the parts that don't make that much sense, just keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. Keep learning and underline the promises, underline and circle the things. When God speaks a good word into a circumstance in your life, this is why we do banding together, because you read a chapter or two every day, and God can speak into your life every day, and then you sit around a table with other people, and they share what God said to them, and you're like, hmm, that's a good word. I needed that. I didn't catch that when I read it, but you caught it, and you shared it with me, and now God is speaking his truth into my life. It's full of promises. And one more thing that caught my attention in verse 14 is it's addressed to Israel and Judah. Now, Jeremiah's primary audience was Judah and the king of Judah and the people of Judah. And yet God throws Israel in here and says, this is a promise that I made to the house of Israel when it was just the house of Israel. And I'm making it to the house of Judah as well. But there will come a day when they will be together again. And it won't be two separate kingdoms. It will be one kingdom, the people of God. One nation again, no longer separated. And then it quotes, uh, that's why it's broken out, it quotes a previous passage, and it, it breaks this out, and it says, in those days, in verse 15 and 16, in those days I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Now, that righteous branch is a prophesied offspring of David. So there were some promises that were made. There were some prophecies that were made. There were some things that God had promised to David that there would always be a king on his throne. And, and Jeremiah is saying, even though it looks like it's gone totally sideways, that promise is going to be kept. That There will be a righteous branch, a promised offspring of, Jake, of David. And, and it's interesting because he actually prophesied this earlier in Jeremiah 23. And so if you flip back a few pages, you see in Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6, some very similar language, but there's a few unique differences. And if you're a friend of mine on Facebook and you got up early, you know that nine years ago today, that was the passage that I had read in the morning and had shared on Facebook, because I do that with the Scripture almost every day. And when I'm flipping through my memories this morning, I'm like, holy cow, I'm preaching on that passage. And I love it when God just kind of connects the dots like that. I have a friend who calls him a set-up God. He's always setting us up for something good. And it was just a fun way of saying, okay, God, like, I think I'm on the right track. I'm really glad I included that and I didn't leave it out because we were in Jeremiah 33. But here's what Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6 says. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will satisfy, who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. And so you hear there's a lot of familiarity, there's a lot of similarity between those two passages. The one in Jeremiah 33 is talking about a place, but the one in Jeremiah 23 is talking about a person. It's talking about a king. And if there's a king coming, there's a kingdom coming, because you can't have a kingdom without a king, and you can't have a king without 
a kingdom. And he's saying a new king is coming, and with him a new kingdom. And this king, he's going to embody all the good kingly characteristics, like insightful decision-making, fairness, correct dispensing of justice. It says that he will only do what is just and right. These are key roles of the messianic king that was to come. That famous passage, that famous prophecy that we almost always talk about and during Advent from Isaiah chapter 9, it says of the increase of his, this new king's government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. That should sound familiar. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And all of these prophecies, all of these promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Messianic King, who ushered in and inaugurated the Messianic Kingdom, who Scripture tells us is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So every king ever in the history of the world, he's the king over that king. And every lord, every person in a position of authority ever, he's the lord of those lords. All of these are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the English study, English Standard Version Study Bible, which is one of my favorite resources, it says something very profound on Jeremiah 23, verse 6. And so I wanted to read this and uh, share this with you. It's on the screen as well. God rescues his people from danger, including the danger to which their own sin has subjected them. And he fosters for them the conditions in which faithful life can flourish and dwell securely, free from victorious enemies. That's a good word right there. That might even be worth an amen, amen. or a moo. Right? You want to come back to that one. You might want to jot that down. You might want to take a picture of that on your cell phone. Here's why. Because it says that God rescues his people from danger. That's what he's saying. I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you from danger. Yeah, it looks really bleak right now, but I'm going to rescue you from danger. He's speaking to his people and he's promising to rescue them from danger. And I love that sort of parenthetical remark in the middle there between the dashes, including the danger to which their own sin has subjected them. Israel had broken the covenant over and over again. And they had gotten, their sin had gotten them into a really difficult circumstance. And God's saying, I'm going to rescue you from that. And I'll just be honest and transparent. My own sin has gotten me into a mess more than once. And God has rescued me and will rescue me from the danger of my sin, from the circumstances that my sin resulted in. This is good news. Not only that, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just rescue us to put us on a shelf somewhere and kind of preserve us. It says, no, he's going to foster for them the conditions in which faithful life can flourish and dwell securely under a good king who only does what is just and right. That there's going to be an environment where our faith can grow, where we can flourish, where we can become disciples, where we can learn to live our lives as Jesus would if he were us, that we can dwell securely in that forever and that last, that last phrase kind of caught my attention, free from victorious enemies. And I like that word victorious because this, this is what this whole thing hinges on, that last little phrase, is that you will have enemies. It doesn't say you'll be free from enemies. It says you'll be free from victorious enemies. And that's a good word because you will have enemies. Jesus promised in this world you will have troubles. In this promise you will have, in this world you will have enemies. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the enemies. They will not be victorious over you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
He's saying you'll have enemies and you'll have trials and you'll have difficulties, but they won't be victorious. Even when it looks like they are, they won't be victorious forever because you're going to be with me forever. You're going to be in my kingdom forever. And so this is a promise. This is a promise made to me. This is a promise made to you. And he concludes this passage in verse 17 and 18. This is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel. That's a promise that will be fulfilled. Nor will the priests who are the Levites ever fail to have a man stand before me continually to, burn, to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and present sat- sacrifices. And so in verse 17, he's saying the, the branches coming will fulfill God's promise to David of an eternal kingdom. A kingdom that shall not pass away. A kingdom that will be forever. But not only that, there's also a promise that would made that there would always be a priest that would always be able to offer sacrifices, burnt offerings, grain offerings on behalf of the people of God. And he's saying that that promise is going to be fulfilled as well in the one person of Jesus, in this new priest king, Jesus. And in so doing, it kind of brings together multiple promises that are fulfilled in the Messiah being both king and priest. Now, if you have a little extra time today or this week and you want to jot out and do a little scripture uh, study, Bible study, jot out Genesis 14 and Hebrews 5 through 7. And read those extra four chapters, a little extra credit for you. You're going to see in Genesis 14, a character comes on the scene right after uh, Abraham has conquered the five kings that had taken off with his cousin Lot. And he comes into this place and this mysterious figure appears. And we're told that his name is Melchizedek. Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness. Melchi means King and Zedek, or Zedekah, means righteousness. So the king of righteousness comes out, and we're told, we're introduced to Melchizedek, king of righteousness, that he is the king of Salem. Well, Salem is the Hebrew word shalom. It's where Jerusalem is today. He's the king of righteousness, but he's also the king of peace, and we're told that he's a priest of God Most High. Well, this becomes really significant when it's interpreted through the lens of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 says that Jesus is not just the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's also the great high priest. And he stands forever in the presence of God offering sacrifices on behalf of us to make atonement for our sins. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And so this one Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, who was king of righteousness and peace. And it's all coming together in this prophecy. Jeremiah is adding to that, that there will be a king who will only do what is just and right, and he will also be the priest that will stand before God and be our king, our peace of righteousness and peace forever. And so here's the bottom line in light of all of that, in light of this passage and so many others. God never breaks his promises. God never breaks his promises. Even when it looks like he has, he never breaks his promises. It's literally impossible. He can't do it. There's like a few things that God is incapable of doing. One of them is failing. One of them is breaking a promise. One of them is telling a lie. There's some things that God cannot do because he is so righteous and holy and just. And so he can't break a promise, even if he wanted to. And it's the last thing he would ever want to do is break a promise that he has made. He entered into covenants, covenants with people who broke the covenant, but he never broke the covenant. And he always came back for a second and a third and a 30,000th time. 
And that's why kingdom hope is different than the world's hope. That's why kingdom hope is better than the world's hope because the king makes promises and he never breaks his promises. He never breaks his promises. And you remember those questions at the beginning and you remember that broken promise that you thought about. Did it cause you to doubt the person that you thought broke that promise? If you broke a promise, did it cause them to not trust you to break the relationship? To lack trust or to withdraw? And maybe, maybe you've even done that with God. Maybe it seems as though God had broken a promise to you. But God never breaks his promises. Never. Never. Even when it looks like he has, even when it feels hopeless, even when it gets worse, even when you thought it couldn't get any worse, God never breaks his promises. Even when everyone and everything tells you otherwise, that you should just give up. Like Job, his own wife, said, curse God and die. And he said, no, but my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. He knew that God never breaks a promise. And God never breaks a promise to you. And he wants to heal and he wants to restore every broken promise in your life. Those that were made to you and those that you made to others and broke. He wants to heal that. He wants to restore that. He wants to bring reconciliation. That's what he does. That's his mission on earth. It's the ministry of reconciliation. He wants to reconcile people to God and he wants to reconcile people to each other. He wants to heal what was broken. He wants to bring forgiveness. And the good news of Christmas, the good news of the kingdom hope is that there is a new king, King Jesus. And there's a new kingdom. And this king, he's only holy. He's only good. He's only honest. He only does what is just and right. And so I wonder... Is it time to come back to God this Christmas? Is it time to bring God back into the equation on a relationship that has been broken? Is it time to wrestle through forgiveness, to wrestle through reconciliation, to begin again, to start over? Is it time to come to God in the first place? Maybe you've had this distance, this separation. You've never been in a relationship with him because, because you thought a promise had been broken and, and it hasn't. And this Christmas can be the time that you step into a relationship with him, that you have that hope that he longs for you to have. You see, one thing I know is that Jesus came for you so that you could come to God or so that you could come back to God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you came at Christmas. We are thankful that you never break your promises, that every promise is a yes. And so we pray, Lord, for the faith to understand. We pray for wisdom. We pray for grace, for healing. We pray for eyes to see what you're doing in this world and ears to hear your voice. And we pray that you would silence the enemy who wants to convince us that you've broken promises to us. 
We pray that your spirit would speak your truth, speak your good word to us, speak your gracious promises to us. And guide and direct us into living lives of reconciliation, lives of hope, where you are our firm foundation, our solid rock, our cornerstone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.